Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode three of Wizards、uh, Weekly Musings. Every Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on all podcast apps.、Uh, Apple Podcast is currently under review, but hopefully by next podcast we are officially on there. Make sure you're also following me on Instagram at Wizard of Soho. And if you want to support me, please go subscribe to my website, WizardofSoho.com.、Um, it's a paid service, but there's tons of premium content on there. Especially for people in the industry,、uh, and it's a way you can support me. I'm gonna make sure all these podcasts for now are free, so this would be and no ads. So please try and support me. Greatly appreciate it.、Uh, to start off, as usual,、uh, given the big wine geek I am, I have an amazing Pinot Noir in my hand right now.、Uh, Wafer Vineyards.、Um, let's give it a little smell. It is. Oh wow, that smells delicious. Um, it's also drinking really great right now,、uh, already. Given it's a 2017, and I think it's only gonna get better with age. Might have to actually put it on my article coming out soon of the top 10 Napa wines under $100. So we're gonna do, you know, we're trying to improve these podcasts as we're going. This is our only our third one.、Um, so what we're gonna start doing、uh, is. Every week when I put this up, I might kind of do a recap of the previous week, especially if something big happens or something, you know, crazy happens, and we can talk about everything for something big in the media or、uh, political, maybe something from、uh, the debates for the 2020 election, or maybe even just see what's happening in the stock market. So obviously,、um, you know, this past week was、uh, a big move in the stock market and a lot of implications. On what's going to happen going forward, especially on all our investments and so on, given how much impact everything's、uh, having based on the tweets by our president and the Fed governors and so on. So, what was the big thing that happened?、Uh, there's a big symposium going on in Jackson Hole, Wyoming.、Uh, it's annual. It's called the Jackson Hole Symposium, and、uh, basically, big economists and Fed governors and、um, People of that nature kind of can you know come down in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and do all these talks, and it's usually very academic. But because of the kind of world we live in now, and how much control Fed governors and politicians, and how important what the Fed is going to do has become, every speech that anybody in the Fed gives has become a big market mover. So everyone's kind of paying attention. So this is why the Jackson Hole Symposium this past week、uh, was just so so important. So let's kind of go through it. Obviously, on Friday, I'm sure you guys saw huge、uh, moves in stock markets, in the yield curve, bond markets everywhere.、Uh, so let's kind of go through a little recap, and then we'll go on to this week's topic,、uh, which is going to be negative yields and negative rates around the world. So let's just kind of see what happened this past week. So Chairman Powell, the Fed Chairman.、Um, You know, he kind of opened the 2019 Jackson Hole Symposium,、uh, and he was more dovish than recent,、uh, you know, f- speeches he's given, especially his July p- press conference. In my view, consistent with an you know open-ended sequence that most likely there's going to be a 25 basis point cut to keep the economy on track.、Uh, absent from his speech was an explicit mention of mid-cycle adjustment. Which he kind of talked about, which kind of spooked the markets a lot.、Um, I think that particular, those three words, mid-cycle adjustment, was one of the key words、uh, said at his last conference, and has like everybody on edge. And you know, people might not even notice how important those three words were. But basically, he tried to give that foregone, you know, which initially when he mentioned it, it kind of seemed like 
uh, forward guidance had become increasingly hawkish in light of, you know, rapidly evolving uh, global developments while, you know, kind of char characterizing uh, characterization of a risk that was upgraded and, you know, kind of made, he's kind of made it seem that things are a little bit more significant than it was in July. You know, Powell detailed a laundry list of downside risk um, that have intensified since the July meeting. Uh, he noted, you know, financial markets have reacted strongly to these to this complex and turbulent picture. He also indicated that monetary policy, uh, you know, works through its influence on broader financial conditions and understands well that disappointing market expectations for rate cuts would amount to a tightening of policy. So this was very interesting because it basically makes it seem that, you know, if the market's pricing in all these cuts, you know, there's a 25 basis cut, cut price for September meeting and I think a 60 basis point, a 60% probability of a 50 basis point cut. So basically, you know, disappointing the market for rate cuts basically is like saying that, listen, we are going to go on a tightening uh, policy going forward. And I don't think he wants to do that. You know, Pavel is unlikely to be inclined to tighten policy in the current environment fraught with downside risk. Uh, I think Chairman Powell was one of the committee members in June who kind of, you know, maybe viewed that 50 basis point worth of cuts. So that's not a 50 basis point cut, but uh, two cuts, 25 basis points was probably appropriate in 2019. And, you know, um, I would expect uh, him to favor more easing in September, given mounting risk and the rhetoric out of the president. Um, the committee is able to maintain, you know, a positive baseline in part because central bankers never want to add pessimism, in part because flexible, you know, they want to address risk flexibly and they kind of never want to seem pessimistic uh, before they hit the economy with full force. And, um, you know, this kind of increases the chances that current policy adjustment will be what Powell kind of refers to as tilt in policy rather than the full easing cycle. I you know, continue to expect that, you know, most likely we'll have a 25 basis point uh, cut in September and in October, potentially with an increasing chance. I mean, I really think there's a possible chance in December. You know, obviously, you know, I guess I didn't mention the disclaimer in this one, but obviously everything, as you guys know, is all my views and my views only, and nothing is to be taken for investment advice. This is all purely educational. So yes, I do think that we'll have the 25 basis point cut in September and possibly in October, and with an increasing chance in uh, December for fourth one, if nothing changes. You know, Powell kind of addressed, um, you know, his address was preceded by uh, an announcement. You know, everybody saw the announcement uh, before, even if you didn't know about Powell's uh, address uh, during the Jackson Hole Symposium, you guys kind of saw all the, you know, round of retaliatory tariffs from China, and this was immediately followed by a tweet storm by our, you know, the chosen one, the Lord and Savior, Donald Trump, uh, that question, you know, who is our bigger, this is what Trump tweeted out, who is our bigger enemy, Jay Powell or Chairman Xi? You know, Trump also ordered, you know, I want to make sure he ordered American companies to look for alternatives to China, shipping companies to halt shipments of fentanyl, um, and indicated a response to Chinese tariffs, that a, a bigger, uh, you know, response to Chinese tariffs would be forthcoming. 
And you know, this that's pretty important too. That you know, how much more tariffs are we gonna put? There's still a lot of tariffs we can put, but and the fentanyl part is very important because this was a very hot topic. If anybody watched the Netflix, uh, you know, Hasan Minhaj did the whole thing on opioids. How there's a lot of opioids being shipped down from uh, from China through the dark net, especially fentanyl. So it's amazing that Trump is kind of picking that to kind of appeal to voters and to the sensitive t- sides because of this whole opioid crisis. Um, you know, Trump's latest tweets immediately raised uncertainty in financial markets and pushed invest- investors to dump risky assets like uh, stocks and so on. They also highlighted one reason why I expect the Fed to ease 20 in 25 basis increments you know, barring a material deterioration in data, you know, more methodical and systematic reaction to incoming information is easier, you know, for the Fed to kind of independently defend against political pressures and a prudent, then like a prudent response to volatile developments. And one lesson from 1950s and early 1960s that Chairman Powell cited in his speech was that stop and go policies can contribute to macroeconomic instability. In the morning, tweets also underscore a point made by Dallas Fed President uh, Kaplan and other speakers recently that the greatest source of risk and uncertainty to the global economy stems from increasingly erratic policy advancements from the executive branch, which is the White House and Trump, and not from inflexible central bankers. You know, the Fed stands ready to support the economy as necessary, which is kind of showing, you know, the more dovish stance that, listen, they want to, they'll do what it takes independently to support the economy and they'll do what, what it takes. So I, I think they will, you know, mo- they will most likely ease in September. They'll probably cut 25 basis points. I don't think they'll cut 50 basis points, but we'll get, you know, deeper into that maybe in the next one or the, the week after, closer to when we have the next um, Fed meeting. So I, we don't focus on that right now. Uh, other than that, let's uh, you know get into the main topic for today, which is negative yields. Before we get into negative uh, negative interest rate trading, negative interest rate yields bonds, uh, let's go back to an old story. This is a story about the time when sardines uh, started disappearing from the traditional waters in Monterey, California. Commodity traders bid them up and the price of a can of sardines soared. Basically, you have three guys. Uh, The story goes back that there's Brad, Chad, and Tad. Uh, Brad got a can of sardines and sold it to Chad for $5. A couple of weeks later, it got tougher to find sardines in Monterey, and Chad, the price of um, sardines went up to $25. So Chad made $20 uh, profit and was like, listen, I'm going to sell these uh, can of sardines. So he went and put a market out of who wants to buy sardines. And because of the uh, prices going up and because of the scarcity, uh, Tad was like, listen, I need some sardines. Uh, so he bought the sardines for $25. So now Brad sold it to Chad for $5 and then Chad sold it to Tad for $25. And one day, uh, Tad decided, listen, I need to, I want to have like a nice expensive meal. The prices of sardine were now $80 uh, a can. So he made himself a massive profit, but he was like, you know what? I'm going to treat myself to an expensive meal. And he opened the sardine can and started eating. He immediately got sick and said, these are, uh, these sardines are no good. So he went to Chad and said, Hey, these are, these were, these sardines you sold me are real bad. What happened? 
And Chad said back to Tad, hey, you don't understand. These are not eating sardines. They are trading sardines. And this is actually a very important story uh, when we come to talk about negative yields. And I'll kind of reference the story back again, but that's kind of where we start. So let's get to what, uh, you know, a little bit uh, market-related, uh, what's been going on with uh, uh, with uh, negative interest rates and so on. So, you know, global yields continue to collapse, uh, and there's a lot of talks about uh, negative yields. There's 15, 16 trillion now of negative yield bonds in the world. And I'll kind of try and explain what that means. First of all, this yield they're talking about that's negative is yield to maturity. This is not like the coupon you get paid that's negative. This is, does not mean that if you buy one of these bonds, you're going to be paying the government to hold on to your bond. That's not the thing. Most places have a zero floor on coupons uh, for any new issued bond. So there's never going to be a case where you necessarily buy this bond and will be paying out somebody the yield to maturity can be negative, but I'll actually explain how it could be a good idea to sometimes buy negative yield bonds, and we'll go through it. So, what the you know, so there's a lot of questions about this. A lot of people message me on Instagram about negative uh, negative yield bonds, negative yield corporate bonds, and let's uh, let's kind of go into it in detail. You know, how uh, you know what are some of the key things people talk about with negative yield bonds so negative long-term yields reflect basically a high probability of an extended period of low or negative possible uh, negative policy rates so the federal government um, you know who's ever germany fed how we have our own fed run by powell germany's got its own europe has its own basically Japan has its own and so on. So what, what does this mean? So it basically means that, you know, there's an, a high probability of an extended period of policy rates that the Fed is going to be cutting a lot and a lot of uh, quantitative easing expectations. And just guys who don't know what quantitative easing is, just quickly Google it. Very simple concept. You know, negative, what's the other thing? Do negative yields, uh, you know, they do not really guarantee negative returns. Just like I said, just because you bought a negative yield bond doesn't mean that you're going to be getting negative returns. Uh, if rates fall further, investors can actually earn positive returns. Um, in theory, uh, you know, the economic effects of negative rates, uh, especially at the federal policy level, they're kind of mixed. You know, there's not a lot of, um, uh, it's still pretty unclear. All right. So how should we think about negative rates? So let's let's kind of dig dig into this a little bit. Um, you know, negative rates are definitely a growing concern in developed markets. Uh, that's you know Japan, Germany. You know these are all developed markets. UK, uh, the market of you know global negative yielding debt shot up to sixteen trillion. Like I said earlier, uh, this actually earlier this month, the entire German yield curve fell into negative territory. So the entire curve from zero all the way to the long end, 30 year and so on, the entire curve was in negative territory. That's pretty unreal. Uh, since default risk for these countries is basically zero, you're not gonna have a situation where Germany defaults or UK defaults. Uh, their sovereign yields basically, what, like what are these rates? Like what are they composed of? Their yields basically have two components, any developed market yield, including United States of America. One is the average PAT, of expected short-term policy rates and the second is a term premium which measures a risk around this expected path over the life of the bond 
you know, uh, just to give a quick what uh, what these two things mean uh, for people who don't know. So the short-term policy rate is basically the rate that's controlled by the Fed. And, um, you know, it basically is the Fed funds rate in America, at least what it's called, where they can control it and they can kind of take these Fed fund rates all the way down to zero. America's never taken it negative. It was very possible they might this time, but a lot of other countries have. And we'll go more into that uh, as um, we get into this podcast further. And the second is the term premium, which is basically a measure of how much, um, you know, additional yield you should be getting to hold a bond longer. Like a 30-year bond should be getting you more yield because you're holding the bond for a longer period of time. So the higher the maturity, technically, the yield should be higher, obviously. You know, with an inverted curve and so on, that's not the case right now. So, yeah. Let's get another, another sip uh, on this beautiful wine. Oh, that's delicious. So, you know, one reason yields are negative is because central banks such as the ECB, the Bank of Japan, the Swiss National Bank, the BRICS Bank have not only set negative policy rates, but have also committed to keeping po- rates negative or at least very low for an extended period. This has lowered both the expected path of policy rates and the risk premium associated with that path. A driver of low risk premium around the policy rates is a collapse of inflation risk premium. Most of developed uh, developed market central banks have consistently undershot their inflation targets for the last decade. Thus, markets now kind of see a very limited risk of significant policy tightening in response to an inflation overshoot. A great example of this is in the U.S. Uh, we did get to 2% at one point, but they've kind of wanted 2% inflation rate in America for a long time, and we've mostly, on average, undershot that. So uh, the concern that people at the Fed or different central banks will start tightening, will start hiking rates because inflation is going up, that's usually the way... Um, central banks fight higher inflation is what they do is they will start hiking rates to kind of control inflation bring it down but that's not a concern anymore so this has kind of kept you know uh, risk premia uh, term risk premia or term premia on the low um, because there's not a big concern of inflation or hiking because of inflation uh, the second factor is global quantitative easing expectations. In the Bank of Japan, asset purchases are basically set to continue indefinitely. We think, I mean, I personally think that you know, um, the ECB, the European Central Bank, will announce probably a small quantitative easing package in September. And the consensus, consensus view, including myself, is that Fed most likely will jump into a full easing cycle and you know will basically bring rates pretty close to zero and then potentially start quantitative easing. And we'll get more into that uh, you know, as we get closer to the next Fed meeting, and I'll go in depth on why, what I think the Fed's gonna do over the next several months, and how that's gonna affect everyone's investments, and we'll go real deep into it. Maybe you guys can you know, ask me some questions on that too, so on my Instagram, when you guys want. So, you know, basically what the Fed, I think, is going to do just quickly is, yeah, I think they're going to basically essentially take rates all the way down to zero and then do a small QE and, you know, buy back a certain amount of bonds each month. Um, they're, I mean, non-economic factors in the sense that, they you know, they do not want to respond to basically wait too long before they have to do something to kind of control the economy. All right. So let's think about the next next big question. 
why would investors buy negative yielding assets? You know, buy, as I said before, buying a negative yielding asset does not guarantee a negative return. There are two components to a bond's return. Coupons and price change. The lower yield goes, the higher price goes. So you buy something low, you sell something high. The second thing is coupon. Every bond, you know, kind of think about like you guys who are stock traders, think about it as like a dividend. It's like a dividend that a bond gives, but it's fixed. Uh, U.S. government bonds every six, it's like semi-annually paid. So every six months you get a coupon. Uh, so that's kind of what it is. That's what kind of the two components, the two components of a bond's return. <laughs> Negative yielding assets typically pay very low, sometimes basically zero coupons. They price substantially above par. Par is hundred dollars, since they only pay out par value at the maturity. So basically, I mean, when, on, assuming you guys know what a bond is, you basically buy at the end of the bond maturity. So ten year, five year, ten year, thirty, whatever you guys pick. At the end of it, you basically get hundred dollars. I mean, that's the standard um, rules with bonds. Most of them, there could be some that are not, but most bonds at the end of it, whatever price you buy it for. Regardless, you buy something for ninety-five dollars. At the end of the time, you will end up getting a hundred dollars, and that five dollar is basically your yield to yield premium or yield to maturity. So, in this case, what's happening is the bond you're buying is higher than hundred dollars. So that's why you kind of have like this negative yield. You, there's a lot of bonds that are higher than hundred dollars and have positive yield, but that depends on the coupon price and the maturity. So that's you know that's going to be something I'll talk about. Uh, maybe I, I can do like a quick course or maybe i can put out a little quick uh, boot camp course to you guys get you guys familiarized with some of these concepts and bonds maybe we'll do that next week <clears throat> so since they only pay out par value at maturity the return is negative if they're hold, held to maturity because the price is above par uh, but if yields fall in the intervening period that means if yields get more negative the bonds price could rise before eventually drifting down to par Therefore, investors can earn positive returns on negative yielding bonds if they do not hold them to maturity. A more common example of a negative yielding position in bonds occurs when speculators sell bonds. A short bond position will typically have a negative yield and will only become profitable if rates rise enough over a short time period. This comes back to that story about the trading sardines. A lot of times people will buy bonds not because they want to hold it to maturity or pick coupons, but they basically think the price of the bond can still keep going up and the rates can keep go further negative. So even though this is not something you want to hold all the way till maturity because you're going to end up losing money, if you sell it in advance, you can actually end up making a lot of money. So that is why the story about the trading sardines is very important. Another consideration, obviously, is the financing cost of negative yielding assets since financing costs are closely related to policy rates, which is the Fed fund rates in America. They're typically also negative when long-term rates are negative. This makes negative yields less punitive because a finance bond in such an environment will have some offsetting positive cash flows. A last uh, related consideration is the availability of alternative investments. Negative policy rates mean that private banks have to pay a charge for the reserves they hold at central banks. For the most part, 
for the most part, banks around the world have not passed these charges on to retail depositors like mom and pops or me and you having money in a bank. However, very large deposits are subject to negative rates. That is, they basically face a charge. And so bank deposits are not necessarily an attractive alternative to negative yielding assets for corporations or asset managers. Physical cash is another zero-yielding option because it is only feasible to retail investors and only to a certain degree. <laughs> Basically, if you have cash, you're not getting any return. Okay, let's come back to the, another big question. What are the constraints on negative rates? You know, as long as banks do not pass negative rates onto retail depositors, negative policy rates will weigh on their profitability. The more negative policy rates go, the greater the hurdle for banks to generate a positive net interest margin. This is why the ECB is actually considering a tiering mechanism to accompany, to accompany its impending uh, deposit rate cut, which I think will most likely happen in the negative 60 basis point next month, whereby some of the reserves that will be held at the central bank would be subject to less negative rates. If banks obviously start passing these negative rates onto retail depositors, the effect would be very similar to kind of like an inflation cash today. In, like inflation cash today would be worth more than cash tomorrow. Consumers might respond by consuming less. Oh, by sorry, I think consumers will respond by consuming more and saving less because there's no point if rates are negative. Uh, boosting GDP growth in the short run. But this substitution effect could be offset by what economists call the negative income effect. Uh, basically, expected erosion of savings could actually make households more conservative, pulling back on consumption both today and in the future. In my view, negative retail deposits uh, could be deeply unpopular and could weigh on the consumer confidence. Therefore, one way or another, negative policy rates come with economic costs that grow as rates become you know more negative <laughs> what uh, what about uh, negative rates in the longer end the longer end uh, negative rates i see two constraints the first is the extent to which the markets markets can really price a sustained negative policy rate far into the future in europe we currently have negative policy rates priced for a full 10 years generating deeply negative 10-year bond yields bonds are basically what you call um, German uh, German bonds, German ten, German bonds are called bonds. That's weird. The second is the slope of the yield curve, as I've discussed before in my previous, my first episode. Um, negative, you know, negative yielding assets can generate positive positive carry for uh, investors who leverage. Actually, I just spoke about that as well. Um, negative yielding assets basically generate positive carry for leverage investors if financing costs are even more negative, basically front end rates. To the extent that a negative yielding sovereign bond has an upward sloping curve, there is less friction for rates to become even more negative. It is worth noting that the world has yet to see an entirely inverted uh, negative, uh, you know, like a entirely inverted negative sovereign yield curve. Although in Japan we do, and like you know, most of Germany we basically do now. But getting like a truly, truly full negative sovereign yield curve is still, you know, pretty unreal. But we have these points and you have the two's 10-year inversion and so on as well. Now, this is the big, big question. 
could United States Treasuries have negative yields? Now, I do not expect negative rates to really materialize in the U.S., but there is no theoretical floor at zero. Treasury yields could turn negative if the Fed were willing to reduce policy rates below zero. But Fed officials have been united so far, you know, in their opposition to negative rates in the U.S. This means that negative Treasury yields are more likely to occur in the context of an inverted yield curve so again, the question will be how much, if at all, the U.S. real curve will be able to invert, um, stay invert, or get more inverted if once it's already negative rates. Part of the reason treasuries remain attractive to investors uh, despite their massive rally since last October is that yields have collapsed across developed markets and equity markets have become more volatile. So it's still, you know, good to have... Uh, you know, U.S. Um, U.S. bonds in your portfolio, especially for other countries. Uh, what? Uh, let's talk about another thing. So that's my thing on U.S. What is the relationship between negative yields and growth? Just growth in your country. You know, some of the economic costs of negative rates I've already spoken about before. That you know, with the negative deposit rates and how banks might pass that over to retail investors. You know, uh, the hope among policymakers is that these costs are basically offset by easier credit conditions. That's the reason people send their country into negative you know, Fed funds rate or cut rates or so on, because it's supposed to make credit easy, make it cheap. You know, the evidence is kind of mixed on this front. In Europe and Japan, negative rates have actually been accompanied by tepid growth with only a brief CapEx-related surge in 2017. But the slowdown since then has partly been, I mean, because of the U.S.-China trade war on external demand, particularly out of China, obviously. Since domestic demand has held up so far, one might argue that, you know, negative rates have helped prevent an even deeper slowdown. In the other direction, the ubiquity of negative rates has largely been a function of expected economic weakness. Markets have gone into, you know, basically a risk-off mode pushing developed market yields uh, lower and lower and investors keep flocking to safe haven assets. Now, the risk is that developed market yields continue their race to the bottom, inflating a bond market bubble that you know is a whole different topic and is yet another risk to the global economy. So you know we've gone into a lot of details here, answered a lot of questions about uh, you know negative rates. The one thing to understand is that if you are a U.S. investor and you buy a German bund, which is, say, negative 70 basis points, it is not negative yield for you right now. There's this thing called interest rate parity. And what I'm going to do is um, I'm not going to get into that in this podcast, but I have put a detailed um, article on my website on interest rate parity and how forward exchange rates of currencies basically cause this negative yield bond to become a positive yield bond when you do a cross-currency basis. So basically, you buy the European negative yield bond and then do a cross-currency swap and then bring it to US, the, uh, the FX exposure, and you actually end up with positive yield. And this, this is a whole uh, type of trading. A lot of people do this called covered FX arbitrage. And it's actually very common. And it's, I mean, it's, a lot of it's just, you know, 
financial alchemy, but I put out a detailed article on my website that you guys can go and look at how you can buy negative yield bonds, negative German bonds, and basically get positive yield US in, in US dollar terms. A lot of investors do this, a lot of big time hedge fund managers and, sh and so on do this. So go check out the article on my website. I go through it in full detail. I will put a link on my Instagram, Wizard of Soho, also linking to this article. Um, so yeah, it's it's a lot of cool details in here about FX rates and how FX rates and negative yields go together and about FX arbitrage and negative yield arbitrage. Um, it's a lot of fun. I think you guys should give it a read. So, all right, let's uh, kind of just close this out. So what does it mean, you know, just kind of close that. So if you are a retail investor, um, you know, I hope now you got a under better understanding of what all this stuff means, uh, negative rates, you keep hearing it, oh, negative rates are at 16 trillion, blah, 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 blah. It, you know, it's not what the media is making it seem. Yes, there are issues with negative rates and the fact that we're in negative rates environment, uh, we're not in negative negative rates in U.S. And like I said, go check out my article. I go through the math and all the details of how you can con when you convert the negative rated bonds, 15, 16 trillion of these around the world into U.S. dollars. They're actually all positive yields. So it's the media just kind of blurring and kind of scaring because that's what sells. So make sure you go through everything. Uh, make sure. You guys go through my podcast and got a better understanding of what all this stuff means and get a you know bigger picture idea. As a you know, when it comes to you guys who are stock investors, I mean, listen, it's if bonds are you know rallying so much and bonds are outperforming stocks, it does not matter which stock you invest in. A bond will always outperform you. I mean, this does not always happen. This is very rare, but the more and more. Um, Fed easing and the fact that the, there might be cutting and so on uh, keeps happening and more uh, global volatility around the trade war, it does not matter if you're the best stock picker. If you have the wrong allocation of where you put your money, it, <laughs> you can make 5% on your stock and still lose in the global sense because your bonds could have been making you, say, 20% returns. So, it is very important to understand all these um, concepts that I've been teaching about inverted curves, yields, negative yields, because it, this is probably actually very, very important to, for individual stock investors, for equity investors, because this is what's driving. The bond market is driving the world currently. Interest rates are driving the world. Nothing else matters. Even if you buy equity, you have to discount all your equity cash flows based on um, yields and interest rates. So hope this uh, podcast helped you guys. Um, I will be, uh, you know, maybe we'll do something kind of cool for, yeah, basically, you know, try and do something cool for the next one. Actually, I'm thinking of having a couple guests on. Um, a lot of my friends obviously are good, uh, known people on Wall Street, and I can definitely get some of them to come out and, you know, kind of do a couple discussions with me. I'm going to think of some topics. If you guys have topics in mind, please let me know. The next thing we're going to do for the next podcast as well is going to be, we're going to take questions, uh, recorded questions that you guys can send in to me. I will send you guys a, a link on my Instagram and you guys can all send me in your questions and I'll kind of answer maybe three questions or four questions every podcast. I might also do a live video uh, AMA on my Instagram live. I tried to do that the other week, the other day uh, while I was grilling, but it didn't work out. But yeah, we got a lot of fun stuff planned. 
And, uh, you know, make sure you're following me on Instagram, Wizard of Soho. Make sure you subscribe to uh, my website, uh, wizardofsoho.com. And until next week, stay tuned, Sunday, 7 p.m., every week. Thank you.